Welcome back. Time for another episode of WVU Marketing Communications Today. Coming to you from the good folks at West Virginia University. It's the only show that sits squarely at the intersection of data-driven decision-making and modern marketing practices. And for some strange reason, our guest host today, she must have been, uh, she must be delirious uh, because she's all excited here today. Everybody else has got gloomy here in Southern California, but you're ready to have a happy conversation here. You know, it's been gloomy in Chicago for so long, and we're just getting used to it. So I, <laughs> it's just the norm. I just, uh, it's the new norm, gloomy, <laughs> rainy, but you know what they say, spring showers bring May flowers, and tomorrow... Go is going to be May, so... There you go. It's all going <laughs> to pop up here. Well, I'm hoping, you know, obviously they're starting to... We're doing this at the end of April in 2020, for those listening later. We're hoping, sticking our heads out of the rabbit hole, starting to look around, hope there's some hope that we might reopen and get back to business here. I don't know what it's like in Chicago, but we're hopeful here in the West Coast. Well, I think we are hopeful everywhere. In the meantime... We are Zooming, we are podcasting, yeah, and right. we're learning all kinds of new things, including data marketing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I hope you're going to throw a spell over us and make us all happy today. What, who'd you bring and what are you going to talk about? I'm excited to have with us Jeff Hertrick today. And Jeff is Director of Digital Video Operations at National Geographic Partners, which is now a, a Walt Disney company. Very wow. interesting guest go. for me since, you know, I'm kind of like that data geeky person. So I'm intrigued by video production. And, of course, you know, National Geographic, I've been watching a lot of it. And a lot of that channel, especially with us being home, it's a, it's a great content channel for us. Jeff's been over 30 years of award-winning video production, including 19 years at National Geographic, under 21st Century Fox and for the past year under Walt Disney. He's responsible not only for video production for National Geographic News and the magazine Digital Publishing that appears on the website, but also YouTube and reversioned on a bunch of other platforms. He is in the Washington, D.C. area. He's also an elected board of directors for Federal Credit Union, which is a really interesting combo, video editing, financial services. He's an adjunct lecturer at Medill School of Journalism and is a mountaineer. We got more wonderful mountaineers. I am looking forward to welcoming in Jeff. Hello. Hi, fellow mountaineer. How are you today, Jeff? I'm doing okay. Yes, it is rainy and gloomy here. I'm actually in the eastern panhandle where I have a home uh, about 70 miles from Washington, D.C. This is a great place to be quarantined and working from home and doing the Zooms. It's a blast. It, it sure is. It's a wonderful way to just be as productive as possible. We appreciate you taking the time to spend with us. This is really interesting. Our title is Trends in Digital Media and how a 132-year-old brand stays relevant. And if I can just kind of share a little bit about, you know, National Geographic, which people may or may not know, uh, founded in 1888 when its magazine editor first introduced photographs in a monthly publication. But today, National Geographic is the number one media brand in followers on Instagram. I was fascinated by that, something 
maybe a lot of people know, but I did not. And while magazines are shuttered all over every month, National Geographic's print version remains on newsstands. I see them in the airports and pick them up myself. Um, and it's published worldwide in over 40 languages. So you have stayed relevant. Then you went from 21st Century Fox. Then you became part of Disney+, Plus, the family of ESPN and ABC. And so you've really been able as a brand to evolve in very interesting ways. And I salute you and your company for doing that. So let me start by asking you, how do you characterize National Geographic? Is it a media company? Is it a TV station? <laughs> Let's start by saying, what is National Geographic today? Everybody has a different impression of what National Geographic is. If you ask somebody over the age of 50 or 60, they'll say, oh, yeah, my grandmother or my parents always had the magazine and they kept it on, on the shelf in the you know, library, the basement, the dining room, the study, whatever, the bedroom, or it's stacked up in the attic in most cases. So there's that impression, and then you have the, the National Geographic Channel has existed uh, for 20 years, and then you have all these other things out there, you know, the National Geographic cruise ships, which really fits well now with Disney cruises, you know, they, they've aligned that together, and they're still organizing that. But I liken the characterization of National Geographic, and I compare it to West Virginia, and you might say, what the hell is he talking about? Well, when people say West Virginia, what does West Virginia characterize? Some people say, oh, it's a southern state. Well, not exactly, because West Virginia was created to stay out of the Confederacy in the Civil War. Da -da 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 -da. Well, okay, but it's south of the Mason-Dixon line. Well, most of it is, but people in Wheeling or Weirton would beg to differ. They're north of the Mason-Dixon. So then some people would say, well, West Virginia is part of the Mid-Atlantic region because it borders Pennsylvania and Maryland and Virginia. Well, that it's only a higher river. You know, West Virginia is not really Mid-Atlantic, and it's pretty far from the Atlantic Ocean. And then there's other people who say West Virginia is a Midwestern state. Well, yeah, it has the Ohio River, and if you live in Huntington, you're right across from Ohio, and you're not far from Kentucky, not Midwestern either. So West Virginia has that identity crisis. So National Geographic is a channel. That's part of it. National Geographic is a magazine. That's part of it. National Geographic is a website. National Geographic is international. National Geographic is in the travel business. There's a travel website, very active. There's travel business with the expeditions, and you can take a National Geographic cruise to uh, everywhere from the, the Baltic Sea to the Galapagos Islands and around-the-world airplane trip with National Geographic expeditions. It's a little bit of everything, and when it was originally started, as you said, in 1888, it was created as the National Geographic Society, a nonprofit institution. Now, today, the word society is not used very much in names of institutions, 
but it still exists. It is a nonprofit entity and works coincide with the profit-making side. Well, for a nonprofit to survive in today's media world, it's extremely difficult because of the competition, the global aspect of it, the constant changing of it, uh, the requirement for uh, the, the infrastructure and the connections, and, and you have to sell advertising, and advertising is so much more complicated today than it was even 30 years ago. National Geographic Society, 20 years ago, teamed up with 21st Century Fox to create the channel, the National Geographic Channel. So the channel was created and was uh, owned and controlled by 21st Century Fox. But then the society had great difficulty uh, competing and maintaining its competition in the the media landscape uh, and decided, well, hey, you know, uh, there might be a way to go. We need to take this partnership more than just the channel. And at the time, in 2015, five years ago, 21st Century Fox, primarily spearheaded by James Murdoch, decided, hey, this would be a good investment for that company to buy a, a majority stake on the profit-making side of National Geographic and bring with it the brand. And so that happened in 2015, and 21st Century Fox owned 73% of National Geographic partners, while the National Geographic Society maintained 27% interest in National Geographic partners. So any profit... It gets a little complicated with all the different... Yeah. You know, this is what mergers and acquisitions are these days. They get... There's a little bit of everything, science, conservation, travel, wildlife, media. There's lots going on here. I want to ask you, Jeff, first of all, um, how are you coping today in our day and age of COVID? I hope you're well and, and everything's good for you and and your family. Yeah, yeah, it's complicated. It's uh, at times scary yeah. it is for everybody. And uh, if, if you know people in the healthcare industry, the tough time they're going through. For National Geographic, the, uh, the offices have been closed since... Friday, March 13th. So it's, it seems like more than two months, but it's been less than two months. It seems a lot longer than that. But uh, everybody's uh, working from home. And, yep, uh, as we that. all are. I've been sitting in in a lot of conversations with nonprofits and, and with organizations that are adjusting to what we're calling the new normal. With so many of your people at home, are you seeing a change, either increase, decrease in traffic to your websites and other platforms as a result of, you know, I'm watching more National Geographic. <laughs> uh, what are you seeing? Yes, very definitely. There's a couple of places where it's significant. The traffic is up overall for the National Geographic website. The channel ratings are doing very good, although I don't see those ratings, but I know they are up significantly. And uh, presence of National Geographic now on Disney Plus has increased and given greater exposure to National Geographic programming. 
And uh, we just had an, an all-hands meeting with uh, President Gary Nell, and he pointed out that the Jane Goodall documentary, Jane Goodall, The Hope, which aired on the National Geographic Channel, of its non-linear views, 94% of those views were on Disney+, Plus, which just shows the significance of uh, the National Geographic brand now being part of Disney. But the other areas where traffic is up significantly is on, I hadn't even mentioned this, National Geographic Kids, which is another side of the business. And that traffic to the National Geographic Kids site with parents now being teachers at home, the kids are all at home, the traffic is up month over month, almost 300%, which is pretty significant. That's great. I'm glad it's National Geographic kids and not, you know, you know, housewives of, you know, greater Chicago <laughs> that we're yeah. spending our time on. I want to ask you for clarification on a cool new term I just heard, and maybe some of our audience did too. Nonlinear views. What what are nonlinear views as a metric? Linear is television as we have known it for decades. You turn on the TV and you have cable or whatever. That's a linear view. The nonlinear view is uh, Apple TV, your box on top of the TV, wherever wherever you're uh, is coming from, Roku, subscription services, Netflix, Disney Plus, uh, Amazon Prime. That's all nonlinear. Got it. Thank you for sharing that. I know that Paul's going to want to take us to a break. When we come back from our quick break, I would like to get into some data questions, but I sure would like a short question on what's the most interesting place or topic that you did some video for for National Geographic. Sure would like to hear a short little story from you, too. So, Paul, I'm going to hand it back to you. Fascinating stuff here. We're just going to tell you a couple quick stories here to uh, catch your breath and uh, and anticipate where uh, where he's going to take us in the next round here. We want to remind you that WVU's Integrate Conference has moved online. Makes sense. Marketing communications experts from a variety of industries are exploring how and what to say during this unprecedented global pandemic. You can view the schedule, tune in live, virtual sessions at integrate.wvu.com. Edu. Don't miss the Integrate Conference this year. It's online, and you can be there, too. Integrate.wvu.edu. And did you know that West Virginia's new Digital Marketing Communications Master's Degree Program, it's fully online and can be completed in just one year. With built-in certifications from platforms like Google and Facebook, program gives you both the strategy, knowledge, and skills to reach audiences on today's emerging media like we're talking about here today can't just rely on one channel it's a multi-channel world here with non-linear views as we just learned here learn more at marketingcommunications.wvu.edu marketing communications at west virginia university you have got to have one of the coolest jobs in the world your guest here and i can't wait to hear where he's gone in search of the next story for uh national geographic here Yes, Jeff, please share. <laughs> okay. Well, people always say when they find out you work for National Geographic, they say, oh, do you get to travel a lot? Well, 
I'm mostly, I'm the guy who sits in the office and take, took in the video from other folks who went out there and trudged through the mud and got bitten by the mosquitoes and, you know, whatever. But I have done some traveling and have done some interesting things and work with some, some interesting people. One that stands out in my mind that is still fascinating that I did many, many years ago, but there's still studies done. It's a, a little bird that migrates. And we were on a story initially to, uh, it wasn't far from here, the Delaware Bay. In the month of May, there's a lot of activity in, in the water in the Delaware Bay. And you might have heard of horseshoe crabs. Yes. And uh, the horseshoe crabs wash up on shore. They're ugly. They look like helmets. And uh, go along the beach of uh, mainly the Delaware Bay along the coast of New Jersey and Delaware and, and Maryland, especially, but all the horseshoe crabs are all over the world. But uh, the horseshoe crabs often end up upside down, and if they're not turned over by the tide, they, they will die. But these things have been around for millions of years. Anyway, we were doing a story on this, and uh, I'm down there in uh, Delaware, and I stopped to see uh, one of the fellows at the, the state nature reserve and talking to him about horseshoe crabs and he said oh well are you morning people and i said what do you mean he said well if you come out here tomorrow at 6 a.m there's a group of college students from england here and they're studying the red knot and i said what the hell is a red knot and he said well it's a bird and the bird eats horseshoe crab eggs so we, we did the story and this was one of the most fascinating things i ever did this bird migrates almost the entire length of the globe, almost from Antarctic to Arctic. Our winter months, the summer in the southern hemisphere, this bird goes all the way to Tierra del Fuego, which is Argentina, the southern tip of South America. And then in May, it flies up to Brazil and feasts, and then it flies all across the Atlantic Ocean to the Delaware Bay. And it, it takes like three days for this little bird and it's no bigger than a robin or a cardinal and this bird flies all that distance and lands on the delaware bay spends about two weeks there and eats horseshoe crab eggs and then when, and then when it's fattened up it flies all the way to the arctic to have its babies crazy it's, right <laughs> that is crazy wow you see how far somebody will go for a good meal i <laughs> I go yeah. that far for Chinese food right about now, because. <laughs> but wow, just for some horseshoe crab, imagine! So thank you, thanks for sharing that, Jeff. That's can I ask one? Steps. Can I ask one quick question? I just have to jump in here. How does yeah. National Geographic afford to track that? That's not a that's not a simple news story. You strap on a two man video crew and go out and capture something. I mean, you gotta. You got to travel. The secret to wildlife and conservation reporting is you rely on other people's research. Ah. Then you do the connections with the folks who have been studying these. And when when we were there in, in the Delaware Bay, we also ran into some other folks. I ran into a fellow from Canada who was doing the research, and he introduced me to a woman from Argentina who had been tracking these red knots from Argentina, and they put little tags on the birds. And this is what was really fascinating is uh, they get in a hive as if you're hunting. It's camouflaged, and so the birds don't see you. 
and they keep an eye on it, and then they shoot a gun that it's not doesn't kill anything. It's a gun that uh, sends a net over the flock of the birds on the beach, and then they trap the birds only for a very short time because they don't want to hurt them. They run in really fast, and they have like 20 volunteers, and in this case it was students from England, and they run and they put little tags on the, the legs of these birds, and it's very tiny tags, but they're color-coded so that when they do the same thing in Brazil and the same thing in Argentina, every country gets a different color code. And so the, the researchers in one, at one location can tell, oh, this bird was tagged three days ago in Brazil, and here it is. It's here already. And that, that happened while I was there where we were filming. One young woman started screaming. She said, oh, my God, oh, my God, there's a tag here from Brazil. And it had been just placed on there three days earlier, and that's how they determine how long these little birds travel. Anyway. So there's some data for you. How fascinating <laughs> is that? Some, it's really interesting, and see how you can accomplish things in collaboration with all of your peers. We have time for one more question, and, and it would be, who've made it? I just have to ask a data question, you know, in addition to how you tag them and keep track of the uh, wildlife all over the world. How has National Geographic been using data and metrics to drive their science, conservation, you know, uh, wildlife, all of the news coverage? Do you have some insights into uh, some of the metrics and data that they use, even in video? Sure. It certainly is tracked on a regular basis. There's a whole department at National Geographic just on the digital side alone that uh, tracks all of the data and they figure out for instance we have 133 million followers on instagram and 46 million followers on facebook and they track each of those and find out how much time people are spending on the site and how much time people are spending on a particular story for instance the number one story uh, in the month of march well corona coronavirus accounted for more than a quarter of all traffic to the website in the month of March, not surprisingly. But the, the news division at National Geographic, headed by Susan Goldberg, the editor-in-chief of the magazine, has concentrated a lot on coronavirus coverage to give a National Geographic spin on the topic. And the number one story was fake animal news abounds on social media as coronavirus upends life. You might have seen some of these viral photos of uh, dolphins in uh, Venice, and uh, there was another viral video of a, uh, I believe it was orangutan washing its hands, and somebody tweeted it out and said, look, the uh, orangutan is mimicking its zookeepers for washing their hands for the coronavirus, and that went viral and you know, millions of people viewed it. Well, it turns out video was filmed in November when nobody had heard of COVID-19. <laughs> so National Geographic did a story saying, you know, this, this was fake. Even though the video is real, the headline was fake. Everything else was true, but the headline was fake, which just goes to show how uh, news can be easily manipulated, and uh, you have to watch out for that fake stuff. But anyway, back to your question about the data. It is tracked constantly, and um, obviously you're not going to write stories that very few people are going to read. So there's always the 
the, the conscious realization that, oh, well, you have to make sure that people are going to find the article. And uh, the data is used to also and make the right words in the headline because that's what shows up in the search results. About uh, a third or more of traffic to National Geographic websites comes from search. That always has to be taken into consideration, and the, the data is absolutely critical uh, to know what are people searching for. Well, if, if you're writing a story, coronavirus is too obvious, but uh, say you're writing a story about orangutans, you have to make sure that the right words are in, in the headlines so that people will find it. But yeah, interesting. Absolutely essential. I do want to. Thank you, Jeff, for spending your time with us, especially as we uh, as we continue to shelter at home. We have lots of options here to be outside with National Geographic and to be outside by through all these different media channels to share this fantastic content that you provide, both in print and and TV and your website and. I would just like to, to ask you one last question before we go, sure. uh, and that would be, if you had a crystal ball, which none of us do, but having seen the evolution now with Disney+, Plus, what are some trends or a trend that, that you're seeing in media that we may want to keep an eye out for that's coming this year? Well, gosh, there's, the change is always constant. That's, that's the one thing that everybody can predict. There will be change. I think just through this coronavirus experience, we are going to have far more people working from home on a regular basis going forward. The days of 90% of the office people trudging into the office every day, I think that we may never see that again. I think people are going to be working from home far more. And what that means, too, is more and more people going to the websites, going to the platforms, using their uh, personal devices or Apple TV or Amazon Prime or Netflix to view everything. And everything is going to be changed more than... I think even the experts realize. Right. Well, everything will change, but we will be here again with you, Paul, for the next edition of WVU's podcast. Thank you, Jeff, for your time. Everybody be Thank safe you. and healthy. You've been listening to WVU Marketing Communications Today, brought to you live from West Virginia University weekly program that sits at the intersection of data-driven decision-making and marketing practice, only on the Funnel Radio Network, for at-work listeners like you.